Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigalski, and we're here for a round two from one of the best sellers I've ever coached in my life. It's the one and only Morgan Mello, again back from PAVE. Nick, why should people listen? Morgan is so good at asking really, really intelligent questions that get the buyer not talking about the product that they want to buy, not talking about the situation that they're struggling with, not talking about the problem, but talking about the impact and talking about how they're positioning the impact of your product or service internally. And so if you want to upskill as a seller, the number one way you can do that is usually by upskilling the caliber of questions that you ask. And there is no better person to learn from than Morgan. And if you want to ask really intelligent questions, a three, a two, a one, listen to this episode. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. 
All right, Morgan, welcome back to the show. You might remember we start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. All right, number one, uh, simplify your discovery. I think a lot of people get really nervous about where do they go? What problems do they start with? Um, so figure out what are the situations that you've got? What are the problems that your, your product or your service solves? Um, and what are the business impacts of those? And then that should be the bones of all of your calls. Beautiful. What's number two? Number two would be ask why, not how questions. There's only one way to get from situation to problem to impact, and that's figuring out why that's a problem or why they're in that sort of situation. So I would say you should figure out why, but we can talk about how to how to ask that in a non-cringe way. Cool. Round us out, Morgan. What's number three? When they multi-thread, you should multi-thread. Uh, that means if they are starting to pull in their chief X officer, if they're pulling in a different department to make it cross-functional, you should pull in another department and make it cross-functional. Um, it should feel, feel very mirrored uh, in the way that they run their process and the way that you run their process. So Morgan, let's go back to your first takeaway, which is really talking about simplifying your discovery plays. So you talked about dropping into a flow that's like situation, problem, and impact. Let's say that you jump onto a discovery call. My guess is there are multiple problems that you can typically find a prospect in or multiple situations you can find a prospect in. When you first jump onto a call, how do you go about picking a problem or figuring out which problem is going to be relevant to talk about here? Yeah, great question. So you definitely want to figure out which problem you should focus on because if you focus on the wrong one, the whole thing is going to go to the wrong direction. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Um, so a couple, a couple of things. One is just like in your prep, right? You should know there's certain company personas you sell to. There's certain buyer personas you sell to, and you should start to pattern match what combinations of those tend to align with certain problems. So you should already have like some sort of guess, some sort of hypothesis on where they might land before you even get started. Um, but the first question is really the most important question, which is why did you take the call? I don't like just why did you take the call, no matter how lovely you make it sound, because I think it's too open-ended. And sometimes you'll find that people will take you very far. They'll do like that eight-minute monologue at the beginning of calls. We've all been there. And it's a problem that you don't even solve. And then you're spending the whole call trying to get them back on track. Um, so instead, what I like to do is say, hey, you know, usually the reason why, you know, folks come to us, request a demo, take my call, whatever it might be, is because they're looking for help with X, Y, or Z. And X, Y, or Z are what those situations are for you, which we can talk about, um, or like those problems. And hopefully they'll tell you, oh yeah, we're, we're working on X and Y, or, or just Y, or Z is really important for us. And then you know from there, that is sort of the, the flow chart that you want to move through from situation to problem to what is the, the actual business impact of that. Can you give me the examples for what you do for PAVE? You could give us the one sentence on like what PAVE does, and then tell me what X, Y, and Z mean. And the reason I'm asking this question is I want to know the level of detail that you're giving for the problem that you solve. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's there's three things I would say that PAVE helps with. Everything is in the world of compensation. We help people hire better, keep their people longer, um, and make sure that they're paying equitably, if you will. Um, and so those are really the three things that I would highlight. So I might say something like, Hey, Nick, thanks so much for, for requesting a demo. You know, I, <laughs> there's usually a three maybe different reasons that folks might come onto this call or, or want to chat. Either you're trying to hire, you might be really caring about retaining your, your uh, employees or, you know, 
you're growing, you've grown a lot. And usually like trying to scale your compensation practices gets really difficult. Um, is it one of those things or is it something else that, that led you our direction? Well, what you're doing here is brilliant. What you're not doing is giving such high level problems. Like, you know, usually people meet with us because they want to be more efficient or they want to save money, but you're also not going 16 levels deep on what retaining people looks like. Um, because that gets them like they almost confuse them with the level of detail that you're sharing. And I think two other things that I would note in what you just shared was you already are positioning yourself. You're establishing yourself as somebody who gets it. You're already like, look, I usually know the problems that people deal with. If you just show up and say, well, why did you take the call in sort of a dopey voice? They're like, oh gosh, has this person ever met with a, a chief people officer before? And so I like you're already starting with some credibility at the beginning of the, the meeting. So Morgan, one of the products that PAVE offers to help people retain employees is a total reward statement. And that essentially allows you to see as an employee what your salary plus your equity plus the upside of that equity plus your benefits plus your commissions, for example, would be worth altogether. In other words, your total compensation package, right? Now, let's say that you bring that problem question forward and they actually drop you a little bit higher level, right? So they don't immediately pour their guts out into what would be business impact, which is we're hemorrhaging employees, we're losing people. They bring you into a higher level problem or a more process-oriented problem, which is our employees don't understand total rewards, for example, or people don't understand their equity, or they don't understand their benefits package. My guess is you don't stop there when they give you sort of like a situation slash problem. How do you bring that situation slash problem into something that actually hits the business's P&L. Yeah, and I, I think uh, what you presented is actually even a, a lucky situation. Because oftentimes just somebody that says, hey, we really want to do total reward statements. That's hmm. it. And that's like very surface level. And so I think even getting to where you said of people don't understand equity or they don't understand their compensation or they don't realize that we put so much money into benefits or whatever it might be, that's actually one step in itself, which is like, well, why do you want to make total reward statements? And that's probably the, the area where I would say, is it that people aren't getting their equity? Is it because you're not getting credit for all of the money you're investing in benefits? Like what exactly is driving it to even get to where you were? And then getting to that next level of why does this even matter is where you basically just repeat the same <laughs> play, I would say. Like, it's really not that complicated. It's kind of like, okay, so people aren't understanding their equity. Maybe that's what they say, right? And you say, mm -hmm. okay, well, usually why that matters is you know, because if people don't understand their equity, it's really not serving as the retention tool that it's supposed to be. And so you might be losing people that have no idea that they have a half a million bucks of equity on the table. Um, and so I think the ways you get there are many. <laughs> There's a lot of different ways, different strokes for different folks, but you probably notice I use like a typically question, I used a story. Um, trying to bake some of those things in. So it's not just like, oh, well, are people leaving? Because that's just not a way that you get on the same side as the buyer. I want to ask you about the situation that Armand said, where he said, we really want to do total reward statements. This is an area that I think a lot of salespeople get tripped up because you help with that. We, it's like when somebody comes to me and says, we really want to sponsor a great sales podcast. And I'm like, we can help with that. And I think some sellers say, well, the fastest, the most efficient path to a sale is they told me what they want. Let's start talking about how we can help them with total reward statements. 
What is your intent? Why are you not jumping on that ask of theirs right away? Why are you sort of holding back and going deeper? That's such a good call out, Nick. <laughs> That's like, everyone's done it. I, I think every salesperson has been like on the dream call and they're like, oh my God, their problem is exactly what we solve. Like slam dunk, let's mm-hmm. jump to, you know, the very end of the process. And the problem is, you know, you get two calls down the line with that person's boss and you have no idea why this is a real problem. Um, and so like, you really got to keep going. Um, and so the reason I keep going is really preparing for this the next step and the step after that and the step three times after that, especially when you're getting to negotiation, right? Mm -hmm. It's pretty hard to be like, Hey, no, we're not going to give you a discount because you told me you wanted a total reward statement and we have a product. You got to really be able to say like, look, you told me, I mean, there's people leaving and that costs you a lot of money or that costs you, you know, a lot of time or that costs you a lot of talent, whatever you feel like is the, the story that they're telling you. I'm sure there's a few stories that they have to share that's what you need to be able to bring up two, three, four steps down the line to first like make sure that they understand the value of your product. And it's not just a product with software. It actually has real meaning, um, especially when it's something simple, <laughs> like what yeah. I sell. Um, and then two is because when you well, multi-thread, you really got to have something to anchor to, especially if you're going to go against their CFO, they're going to care. Um, and then three is, you know, you really need that, that last thing to hold on to when you do get to negotiation so that you can push and pull properly. So to play this back one more time, if we use that situation problem business impact framework, the first question Morgan asked her, essentially she raised a problem and I came back and I gave her a situation, which is we're interested in doing total reward statements. We've thought about doing it in the past, right? But again, I haven't made it clear why we thought about doing that. Then you've turned the situation into a problem simply by asking why right? If you asked a what or a how question, for example, a lot of people early on in their career, they'll be like, oh, interesting. What do you want them to look look like? Mm -hmm. Or how are you communicating compensation today? And you get technical and process answers when you ask what and how questions. You get intent answers when you ask why questions. And so you're using a why question to bring me to a problem. Now, Morgan, let's say I give you a problem now, which is actually the first thing that I gave you, which is, well, the reason we want to do total reward statements is because people don't understand what their equity is worth or people aren't really using our benefits and we have really, really good benefits, right? Again, if I brought that to a CFO, people would be like, who cares if people don't understand their benefits, right? It's still not hitting the, the bottom line of the business. And so how do I start to ask some of these more uncomfortable questions that ultimately lead you to, we are losing employees, which is the business impact? Yeah. So I think there's there's a lot of different strategies you can employ here and certain things are going to work better for certain people and certain things are going to work better for other people. Um, bucket questions are probably the most universally helpful, I would say, of just like, hey, usually people care about this because X, Y, or Z. You could literally get through an entire discovery call with just bucket questions and it would be an extremely successful call, in my opinion. But when they when it starts to get better is when you layer in some of the other things, like using stories. So it's not just hey, these are usually your problems, A, B, or C. It's people usually care about, you know, the fact that employees aren't understanding equity because they've had somebody leave and have no idea that they actually ended up leaving for less compensation. Like, is that something that's happened to you, right? Um, And a lot of people do like to share these stories. So you got to kind of like give a story to get a story. Um, But it definitely makes it feel more real and like you're actually 
on the same side as them. Uh, using typically or usually or oftentimes, that's a great way um, to use it. I think sometimes without stories backing this up, though, it can feel a little bit fake. <laughs> um, anybody can say typically. And so you got to give a little bit more color there to show it that you know what you're talking about. Um, probably the last one I would mention um, of being like pretty universally helpful is validating why you're asking certain questions. So, hey, like the reason I ask about like, why does it matter that people don't usually understand their equity is because, you know, I've heard a lot of people that have people leave for less compensation because you might be like really trying to hold on to talent right now when it's a tough market and you don't have a ton of money to invest in acquisition, whatever it might be. Um, but just having some sort of reason why, whether it's the right one or not, just makes the, the conversation feel a lot more genuine and organic. Well, what I'm realizing is when you tell that story of, hey, you know, I was talking to another customer and this thing happened, that's just the typically question sort of repurposed in a way to get the customer to talk about the impact. All you're doing is you're saying, hey, here's the impact that somebody else had. And the other person, like with the sort of rule of reciprocity, they're going to stare a story back or they're going to say, you know what, because you said that, it's prompting me to think of this thing. That's what you're doing with typically questions is you're saying, hey, here's sort of the menu. I bet one of these is yours. And when you tell a story, all you're doing is saying, hey, I bet this thing has happened to you also. And they're like, that's so interesting you say that. That, that happened to me too. And again, you are positioning yourself as somebody who gets it. You've seen something like this before. Yeah. And I think another thing you can ask is just, um, especially if you're talking to somebody that's not the chief ex officer, or whoever is really going to be the ultimate decision maker here, um, is you can try to understand from their point of view, like, hey, I know you really want to solve this, this problem, right? Like you want total comp statements. How are you positioning this internally to your org of like why you need this? Because it's obviously going to be an investment you're looking to tackle, how are you selling this? And that's that gets you on the same side as them. That starts to set you up for that next call of like, how are you going to get that person on your side? How are you going to position this to the other people involved in a way that's going to make sense to them? That's going to sound like a message that they've heard before. Yes. Um, and that's really going to start getting that momentum going through your buying cycle that has those threads that carry all the way through. Um, and that's a really good way to, to kind of start to open up that bucket. What Morgan is doing is she's essentially taking the edge off another why question because where people will typically go wrong is if someone says, my employees don't really understand total rewards, a lot of times they'll ask a cringy question like, well, what's the impact of that? Right. And it's like, <laughs> okay, I know what you're trying to do. Put me in the sales trap. Or they'll be like, okay, well, how many employees have you lost because of that? And it's like, okay, you start to put them on defensive. And what Morgan is doing instead is one of two things. One, she's either giving a story so that they feel comfortable because this problem has happened to other people and that's what's going to lead them to start talking. Or what she's saying is, I agree with you. How can I help you justify this to other people in the org? In other words, like how is this starting to get on the minds of other people who aren't just you? And that's really how you're making your champion think bigger as to how this impacts the business's P&L. Yeah, Armand, the other call out there is those two cringe questions you said about 
How many people have you lost? What's the impact of that? That's still like very logical questioning. It's like a specific number versus the story of the top performer that left. That cuts deep. That hurts. And so you win the emotional sale there also. And because you're a human being and you can demonstrate some empathy, that then gives you the right to say, well, gosh, is this just an isolated incident where one person left once or is this a reoccurring thing? And that's then how you get to that number and start to quantify the impact. So Morgan, let's say you've done a great job in this first discovery call, and maybe you've even done a demo, and you've gotten them thinking about how you can solve a problem for them that impacts the whole organization, right? The next step is usually bringing in other people in the deal cycle. So let's say that you're multi-threading up, and I might have been meeting with a director level person, and now I'm meeting with a VP or a CXO level person. Give us a sense of what does that next call look like as you're looping in power? Yeah, it's a really good question. So I personally, um, if if they'll do it, (laughs) I really like to have the champion from the first call, assuming for them to sort of recap, like what were the top three actionable takeaways, if you will, um, of why your product or service actually matters for them. And so I'll prepare the slides. I'll do like a Google slide presentation. I'll try to do a prep call with them, like a champion sandwich. Like I meet with them before and after <laughs> to prep and debrief. Um, and I'll say, hey, like, I think these are the three things that that I thought um, you identified as being like the most important to the folks that we're talking to today. Does that feel right to you, first of all? So you have like a chance to kind of refine it a little bit and then say, Usually it sounds a little bit more like better coming from you <laughs> telling your peers why this is a problem at your organization than some outsider that hasn't been around more than 30 minutes into your problems. Like, would you mind recapping it? And then I can kind of hop in from there and cover agenda. And that's that's where I like to start. Once they've done that, um, I like to revalidate that those are really the right problems because it's not always the case that the director and the CXO agree on what the the most important problems are. So I'll say like, hey, look, these are the problems that we thought, you know, were the most relevant, if you will. Um, Do you agree (laughs) with that? Or is there stuff that you think we're missing or things that we, you know, overemphasize that you, you really wouldn't say are a problem for your organization? And then you're just continuing to refine and refine and refine and strengthen for those pillars are um, that you're going to continue to anchor to throughout your entire cycle. So how does that actually play out? So you have your champion doing the initial introduction and basically restating why we're here. And then it sounds like you're recapping some of the key priorities that you've learned in discovery. What do you do from there to engage power? Do you just start ripping them with discovery questions? How do you sort of like get their guard down and get them comfortable with not seeing a demo immediately because you've already done some calls? Yeah. Well, not a lot of CXOs love demos, but <laughs> first of all, I will call them out by name. And right. So it's, I might say like, Hey, Armand, you know, these are the things that we focused on. Um, usually folks at, you know, that are the chief people officer, they're the CFO or whatever you might be. Usually like they might care a little bit about the monetary impact of this, or they're more focused on the uh, employee experience at the organization or some other whatever you might feel like is the right problem. Like, do you feel like that's something we should be adding in here? You can kind of take a shot in the dark. You could be totally wrong. (laughs) But the thing about CXOs um, is they like to tell you if you're wrong. So 
uh, you could just guess completely wrong. Like, hey, Armand, I, I thought you might care about this. And you might say, no, I don't. But I do care about blah, 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 blah. And then you might want to represent to me whatever the business problem is that you're taking to the board every quarter. Um, and then we can start to drill in there and make sure that we're baking that in. And then I'm coming back to you throughout to make sure whatever you added, we're still coming back to it um, so that you stay engaged. So one of the things you mentioned earlier is as you multi-thread on the prospect side, you're also going to be team selling on your side. And so I'm curious, as you're on this call, you've already pulled in the champion to do the recap. You're doing some discovery at power as well. My guess is you've pulled in, whether it's a sales engineer or an exec on your side, you've pulled in some people from your team. How are you involving your team in this executive conversation at power as well? Great question. I think I see way too many salespeople try to close deals by themselves. And you never want to lose or win by yourself, in my opinion. And so I always try to mirror who they're multi-threading on my side. Let's see if I can do this without twisting my words. So if they're bringing in you know, somebody cross-functionally, I might bring in a PM. Um, or if they're bringing in their CXO, I might bring in my VP of sales. Um, or, you know, if they're bringing in somebody lower level that I know is going to ask a lot of technical questions, I'm going to bring in a sales engineer and I'm going to prep the sales engineer on, Hey, these are probably the things this person's going to ask about. We can let a couple of them go so that they feel heard, but we're not going to let this like go crazy down into the weeds. Um, and so you should really just try to match where they're going with where you're going. And if you're having a tough time getting to power and you're not going to get them on the call and you're not going to get your side on the call, it happens. Um, I like to have like my CEO send a message to their whoever, whether it's, you know, your buyer or if, if your CEO or somebody on your exec team has a connection to somebody on their team, try to just have them send a line of goodwill, like, hey, heard we're talking. Like, if you need anything from me, let me know. It can be so simple, but that is your lifeline later on if this customer or this prospect ever ghosts you <laughs> to, for that person again to re engage that email thread and say, hey, like, I know we were talking. Like, what happened? Things seem to fall off. And that might give you an answer later on that you couldn't get otherwise. Morgan, I have a question about when you engage your VP of sales on the call. What's the sort of split between how much your VP is talking, running the call versus you? Are you doing the majority of it? Are you handing it over to that person because they're more senior and you want them to sort of match their senior engagement? What's usually your game plan? So I think it completely depends, which is probably not the answer you wanted. Um, but <laughs> uh, the, the way that I leverage my VP of sales is that I'll tell him which role I want him to play. So I think whoever mm -hmm. it is joining your call you need to, to prep them properly. And the biggest part is what role do they play? Like you need to tell them about where you're at in the deal cycle, like who's involved, right? All of those basics and what, what these people care about. But the really important thing is what role do you want them to play? Sometimes I want Armand to do a ton of the talking because I can tell that the prospect doesn't want to talk to me because they see me as too junior. Um, or I might want him to be like the bad guy on the call because I'm really trying to get on the side of the buyer, right? Or I might want him to say like, hey, we really want to partner with you and you know drive that whole thing home. So it really just depends. And you really have to figure out why are you bringing your... VP or whoever on that call 
and how can they be the most effective to play to that role so that that mirroring continues to to go through yeah one thing that i've observed is it's really critical that you identify one person to play lead on discovery and the reason for that is that's the person who sort of needs to dictate the flow of questioning and the pacing of the call but then what you do is if you're really good at multitasking uh, and you do your prep properly is you assign certain roles to your VP, to your product, what have you, right? And so there have been times where Morgan's like, I'm going to lead discovery, but I know when I talk, I'm mostly going to get the champion engaged. And the key thing is whenever our champion here admits to a problem, it's on you, Armand, to go and insert a story and try to get their CXO engaged and try to pull them into the conversation and say, hey, Morgan and your champion are talking about this, but this is what it means for you. And so inside of a call, you can actually create too many discovery calls if you leverage your product team or your VP of sales effectively by having someone own the drum cadence of most of the discovery, but then having an executive on your side call out specific people or bring the storytelling to a higher level as well. I think that's hypercritical when you're on a demo. Uh, on a discovery, it's fairly simple, if you will, to, to keep people talking because everybody can kind of see each other and people want to keep talking. But when you're doing a demo with a lot of people and especially with execs, nine times out of 10, you're going to see them start to check their email on the side or do other things. And they're really just there to make sure that their team knows that they're there and that they care. And so what Armand's talking about is what I have him do a lot where it's like, hey, I'm going to lead the demo and I can bake in stories and I can do this, that, and the other. I need you to watch people. <laughs> And I need you to to kind of like bring this to the the demo discovery, if you will, to ask the hard questions, ask some of these impacts that I've called out just to have another voice so that it's not a monologue the entire time. And so that we can make sure that, you know, this CXO is con continually staying engaged. Um, like, can you do that for me? And he always does. Beautiful. Well, we're running out of time here, Morgan. And so we got to move to the last question. The last question is this. We've talked about a lot of good things salespeople should be doing. Now I got to ask the inverse. So the last question is, what is one bad habit you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that they think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps them? This might feel repetitive, but I think the thing that people need to stop doing is closing deals alone. You should be winning together. You should be losing together. You will win more if you bring more people in on your side and stop white knuckling your deals. Love it. Morgan, thank you for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes.
This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Morgan Mello include number one, insert your point of view up front at the beginning of a discovery call by asking typically questions and raising problems instead of just diving in and letting the prospect talk about whatever they want. Number two, once you start to get deeper into discovery and you get a champion on your side, you should ask them how they plan to justify it to the rest of the organization. This will help you with two things. Number one, it gets them thinking about the business problem, not just their problem. And then number two, it will tell you how they are going to position it to power and if you need to get involved. Number three, mirror the multi-threading. If you're bringing in a CXO on the customer side, bring in your VP of sales or your CRO on your side. If you're bringing in someone technical on the customer side, bring in a sales engineer. If you're bringing in someone cross-functional, bring in someone from product. Number four, leverage your own senior leaders to storytell and run a separate discovery track with above-the-line people while you own the marching drum cadence of the demo or the champion level discovery when you're in a team selling environment. Alrighty, Nick, how could people help us out here? I want to talk about mirroring the multi-threading, Armand. The other day, I logged on to my favorite social media platform, LinkedIn, and somebody left a comment about their favorite podcast on someone else's post. And they said, I love 30 Minutes to President's Club. Nick Sigelski does such a great job with that show. And I sort of scratched my head for a second and I looked at this person and I was connected with them, but they had not connected with you. And I said, wait, contrary to popular belief, Armand does contribute to 30 Minutes to President's Club. And so I was shocked that this person was like, they had messaged me before, they were commenting on my stuff. And and Armand actually shares the stuff that he learns from 30 Minutes to President's Club too. And so if you're connected with one of us, I don't know, connect with the other one because we post recaps and summaries and stuff that we learn on 30 Minutes to President's Club. So I was mind boggled, but don't worry, audience, you have a chance to fix that before we see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes.